0: Welcome to this edition of Bringing Light to the Darkness, a regular podcast by Pastor James Rasmussen and Pastor Robert Dixon, recorded from Oasis Christian Fellowship at Sunridge Village, Assistant Living and Memory Care Community Center in Bula City, Arizona, where Pastor James is a resident. They have developed this series of short messages in order to share the journey from within this community and to bring light into the darkness in small and big ways. Before we begin, Pastor James would like to remind the audience of the following. Some books are to be tasted, others swallowed, but there is only one book to be chewed and digested. It is called the B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instruction Before Leaving Earth. Now here is Pastor James and Pastor Robert with this week's episode of Bringing Light to the Darkness.
1: Okay, let's get started. Thank you again for joining us today for Light Into the Darkness. This is Pastor James Rasmussen and Pastor Robert Dixon. Today, we're gonna to go over the first half of the letter and then we'll go over the rest next week. I'm gonna ask you to please listen for the passion, the guilt, the struggles that she had with her own feelings, and those of her family and then next week the second half will be shorter and we'll discuss it more okay robert would you read the first half of the letter okay here we go pastor james my
2: father vicente and had been living with parkinson's disease and dementia for a couple of years by the time i had moved back home at the end of 2010 My mother had passed away in 2007, so the household now consisted of my father, myself, and my brother Vince. My father also had diabetes and chronic pain from arthritis and scoliosis, but at that point he still managed to bathe, dress, and feed himself. He no longer drove, but had the strength enough to walk to neighborhood stores and restaurants. My brother worked full-time, and his swing shift meant that he left for work in the evening and slept until the afternoon. I was working part-time and looking for full-time work as I had just graduated from university earlier that year. In 2012, my dad had been experiencing stomach discomfort and constipation. By summer of that year, the problems became worse but he refused the doctor's orders for a colonoscopy. One Saturday in June, he was shaking and feverish. An ER examination led to the emergency surgery that night to remove part of his colon, which was blocked and twisted. He had sepsis and was given a 50-50 chance to live. After a week in the ICU, he recovered enough to be moved to a regular hospital room. The hospital social worker worked with us to find a subacute rehab hospital where he could continue his recovery. I was relieved by this as the ordeal left him unable to walk or care for himself. And I, at that point, had no training or ability to take care of him at home. Terms like subacute were not part of my vocabulary then. I had to learn acute describes a condition of recent onset or sudden severity, as opposed to chronic, which describes a disease that is long going. Subacute is for something in between. Basically, a condition that requires a longer recovery than can be provided by an acute hospital which is what we would generally call just a hospital. Subacute facilities are also called rehabilitation hospitals or the term can be combined as a subacute rehab. I came to find out that many such facilities in our state of California also have long-term residents, and therefore also function as a nursing home. Their main quality is that they offer 24-hour skilled nursing, a feature that allows them to be paid by insurance. Medicare, which my father had, will pay for 100 days in a sub-acute rehab after a hospital stay of at least three days. This is important to remember as it will come up later. With the help of the hospital social worker and discharge coordinator, we found a nice enough subacute rehab facility, just 10 minutes drive from our house. He was given physical therapy and regained his ability to walk and eat solid foods. By September of that year, he was home again. A home health agency paid for by Medicare visited us just a few times a week. My brother and I were given training by agency nurses on how to change his colostomy bag, how to use his feeding tube. He would be removed from the tube a month later and how to continue his physical therapy at home. After a month or so, his health and mobility recovered to the point where the agency discharged him as no longer needing home health care. We were on our own. And although my father showed significant improvement, he still needed round-the-clock care. Due to Parkinson's and dementia, he did not have the dexterity to change his own colostomy bag, and he had four rounds of medication every day, which needed careful management. My brother and I divided the duties of full-time care between us. I still only worked part-time and I kept my hours to daytime so I could come home and relieve my brother before he had to go work at night. My brother still slept through the morning, but my father's dementia was not so advanced at this point. So I would leave him alone when I left in the morning. If my father needed anything, he would wake up my brother. We settled into this routine with new incidents. My father developed colon cancer and needed another surgery to remove the remaining portion of the colon in the spring of 2013. This necessitated another stay in a subacute facility, but he was able to recover much more quickly and was home after a month. We continued our routine of doctor visits with numerous specialists: a neurologist, urologist, gastroenterologist. Podiatrist to manage his various health issues. All of it was paid for by Medicare. His medications were available in generic forms that required very little copay. As I was still working only part time, I was worried for my, final secu- my financial security. My brother was the main breadwinner, and my father got a modest Social Security check every month. Plus a small supplement for his disability, but I had student loans and deferment with the interest piling up as I was making very little. I decided to apply for the county's home health services department to be paid to be his caregiver. The way this program typically works is that the county reimburses a family for hiring a caregiver to provide basic housekeeping and personal care. The pay would be minimum wage and we would be limited to 20 hours per week. And we would have to find a worker ourselves. But the program allowed for a family member to be designated as the caregiver. Basically, I would be paid for what I was already doing. I applied, however, and the application process was complex and confusing. The social worker we were assigned never followed back up with us, and the process fell through. I lost heart and didn't bother applying again. In 2015, I made the decision to go back to school and earn a credential to become an art teacher. I grew frustrated that I wasn't able to pursue all of my career options after finishing college due to my father's needing so much of my time and energy. I felt that teaching seemed a good compromise as a career that I could offer personal fulfillment while still being able to take care of my dad. So I applied that fall and began classes in the spring of 2016. I thought at first I could take all of my classes online, but I ended up needing to take studio art classes in order to build up my portfolio, as a portfolio review was necessary for acceptance into the credential program. My life became more stressful as I strove to balance work, school, and full-time job of caregiver. My father's mental faculties declined and I was no longer able to leave him alone in the mornings with my brothers sleeping. I have another brother who lived nearby and could watch him in case my classes ran late, but could not watch him for more than a few hours as he wasn't trained on colostomy care. Once I was in the credential program, I was going to have to student-teach full-time for a whole year. At this point, I began to look for a place for my dad. My brother and I always have been resistant to the idea of putting our father in a long-term facility. It is contrary to our Mexican culture. We had seen our grandparents cared for in the home until their deaths and that was what we determined to do with our dad. But we realized that the stress was taking a toll as we had no lives outside of our obligations and my dad's progressing dementia made him extremely challenging to deal with on a daily basis. He had begun to wander away, make messes in the house, and was starting not to recognize us. By the summer of 2017, I had several objectives I needed to meet in order to enter my school's credentialing program. I was needed to take competency tests and assemble an expensive portfolio displaying my abilities in several art media meant taking more courses. After discussing the matter with all of my siblings, I decided to look for placement in a care facility. My first step was to ask my father's doctor for aid. He had been well aware of our difficulties and offered to help when the time came to find placement. His offer gave us a list of area nursing homes where his other patients had been placed. I took the time to call or visit all of them. I was looking for a home that offered respite care as I did not want the situation to be permanent. I only wanted a break from caregiving so I could do what I needed to do to get into the credentialing program. Three of the facilities on the list had beds available that were 15 minutes away. There was one that I was very impressed with. I brought my father to meet the director and the head of nursing so that they could assess his level of need. He happened to be having a bad day that day and based on his problems with mobility, they would take him. There was a problem, however, in that they could not take him from living at home. All of their patients had to come to them from either a hospital, another care facility, or be under the care of a home health agency. The reason they explained is that they needed a care plan from a doctor or nursing care. They couldn't assess his needs on their own. So they asked me to ask his doctor to have him admitted to a hospital for at least three days and then have him discharged to their nursing home. Although they did not cite insurance as a reason, I did recall in my mind that Medicare only pays for subacute care after a three-day hospital stay. So I called the doctor's office and relayed the request. The office got back to me saying that they couldn't do this as my father wasn't ill enough to need care in an acute hospital. The office then called another nursing home from the list and got them to take my father without prior hospitalization. They connected me with the owner of the facility who explained that we could meet a financial arrangement in which my father's social security income would be used to pay for his stay. We brought my father to the facility where he met the head of nursing. She was very dismayed that he was coming without a care plan from a hospital. We did our best to give her a breakdown of his condition and his needs but she made it clear that she was uncomfortable with his admittance and felt that the owner was overriding her objectives my father was passive through this whole experience and we left him in his room that night hoping for the best i woke up the next morning to several missed calls and voicemails from the facility my father was very mobile that morning and had tried several times to leave the facility. The head of nursing wanted me to come pick him up right away as they were going to discharge him. So I went and got him. The nurse explained that the facility was for people with mobility problems and they had no memory care for dementia patients. They were not a lockdown facility and did not have enough staff to keep a close eye on him. I was upset and asked them how they expected me to take care of him when he is just as unmanageable at home. They said that he needed to be in a memory care facility. I asked if they knew of one. They told me to try Google. Googling memory care provided to bring me listings of expensive-looking assisted living facilities in pricey neighborhoods. Many of them were in communities where I feared there would not be no one there who could speak Spanish to him. There is also up front, no upfront information on whether they accept Medicare. I tried a well-known referral service that was prominent, had prominent TV ads, a place for mom. They explained that they only refer to private facilities that require money upfront which would be thousands of dollars that we didn't have. Then I found a nonprofit that works with low-income families. After several days of consultations by phone, they found a subacute rehab nearby that had sitters for dementia patients. However, they could not accept my father without a three-day hospital stay. They were willing to find a solution for me, So they instructed me to bring my father to a hospital emergency room in the hopes that he would be admitted. It was not a guaranteed plan, but it was the best they could do. My brother and I were uncomfortable with this, as it seemed contrived and underhanded. When the time came to bring him, we couldn't do it. And that ends the first part of the letter.
1: Thank you so much, Pastor Robert. Now, next week, we'll have much more discussion, but I hope you heard the pain and how much she was fighting guilt, not only on her own, but from her family. So that'll be it for this time. Thank you.
0: That was another edition of Bringing Light to the Darkness. regular ministry of Oasis Christian Fellowship. We thank you for listening and look forward to further opportunity to bring light into the darkness. As a reminder, if you wish for questions, comments, or prayer requests via email at lighttheway at email dot com. L-I-G-H t h e w a y at email